0: Common ethical concerns. As educators, we commonly want to study our own practices with an eye toward improving them. This means that we are adding the hat of researcher to our regular roles as educators, which involves a more systematic study of our practices. It also means that we are potentially rearranging our relationships with those that we are in contact with daily in our sites. We can ask ourselves how our on-site relationships may change once they are transformed from working together or being together in fairly well-defined ways to ones redefined by the research process. This is particularly important to think through when there are hierarchical relationships, principals and teachers, teachers and students, where one typically has institutional power over another. In a traditional research framework, the research relationship is one of researcher and human subjects, or participants, the latter meaning the informants or sources of data for our studies. We have written elsewhere about the potentially powerful and positive rearrangement of relationships through action research. Those who initially start out as participants may become co-researchers, or the research may be more participatory than is described in the binary terms noted above. But the traditional researcher-researched relationships are those that commonly come to mind when initially planning for proposed research. While we consider establishing relationships a strength of the action research methodology in terms of access and trusting relationships, there are cautions that come with this, particularly from the point of view of permission-granting boards. A common concern of those approving research is that potential participants voluntarily consent to being part of a study, that there be no sense of coercion involved. An issue often raised with insider action research is that, with the investigator in multiple roles, such as a teacher as well as a researcher of one's own classroom, voluntary consent will be compromised and potential participants will feel coerced to be part of the research, whether they want to be or not. Because the researcher is often in a position of power over the potential participants, the critique is that, for example, students will feel pressure to be part of their teacher's research or fear some kind of reprisal or falling out of favor. But proposed research and whether it moves forward is a balance of weighing risks and benefits. Earlier, we discussed the fact that researchers' questions are often derived from struggles in daily practices. Thinking back to one of the examples we offered in Chapter 3, that of Monica Richards and the bums of 8H, the opening question that Richards wanted to address was, how am I going to motivate students who do not want to learn? The focus is on her own teaching practices and how she might improve them to the benefit of her students. At this stage, her study is in essence a self-study, one that might lead Richards to make some changes in the classroom. Her initial data gathering involved a daily reflective journal where she interrogated her own teaching practices. She also shadowed the bums, essentially walking in their shoes through the school day, to experience it as they might. This took her to the point of sharing her observations with the class, and forging a partnership to explore how school life might be different for them. She did two particular things that moved her out of the expected, hierarchical teacher roles. First, she enlisted their help in the problem-solving process, and second, she opened teacher behaviors for exploration, shifting the problem-solving to the dynamic between the students and their teachers rather than only holding students accountable for their miserable grades. In the case of their class with Miss Richards, She was giving herself a failing grade of sorts and modeling to them that she wanted the learning to increase all around. She made explicit a stance of being co-learners and then co-investigators together. This flattens and muddies what we have come to expect in traditional, hierarchically arranged school and research relationships. We would suggest that the teacher is also vulnerable in the process, at risk via seating being the all-knowing authority in control of the learning process. Instead, she invites the students to also investigate how they best learn a wonderful gift to any student, and cast herself in the role of learner also. The current arrangement of the classroom was clearly not benefiting the students, as illustrated by their frustration level and poor grades. The first level of risk was in the teacher admitting that she had a part in the poorly performing classroom. It is not that she let the students off the hook in terms of their own responsibilities, but rather that she shifted the classroom dynamic to one of shared responsibility, learning, and teaching. Just as hierarchical relationships were muddied, we are suggesting that the notion of coercion is muddied as well. We have by now many examples in print where educators have explored their school practices to the benefit of all concerned. This rich accounting of insider action research can be used to our advantage now as we make a case for calling into question typical practices in schools that consistently fail students. Just as action researchers may want to link their proposed research to district goals and priorities, a linkage to improve teaching practices and student outcomes can be a compelling argument for the research. Demonstrating that others have embarked on this kind of process in their sites, with positive outcomes, helps bring the possibilities of action research into focus. We are suggesting, then, that the status quo can put students at risk, and that this is part of the rationale for proposing research that may be of benefit to them. This, in essence, begins to move from possible coercion to possible opportunity through the research process as weighed in the risk-benefit ratio. We are also suggesting that self-study is a good starting point in action research where inside-action researchers interrogate their own practices in relationship to the puzzles they are experiencing in their practices. They then are not putting anyone in the position of being possibly coerced into participation in the research, but rather are putting themselves under systematic scrutiny. If, on the other hand, the initial proposed question is one that concerns the larger school community, such as, how do we improve our standardized test scores and preserve authentic learning? It makes sense from the beginning to set up a more participatory research approach where, together, members of the school community design the inquiry. This moves the research to one of multiple researchers who may also be participants in gathering and generating the data. They are not consenting to be participants in the research so much as co-researchers, fully involved in the research design-making processes. This rearranges relationships from researcher, researched, to co-investigators. So where IRBs may see coercion and risk, the action researcher sees participation and benefit. In fairness to IRBs, they are often unaccustomed to dealing with the complex issues that action research surfaces. This is why proposals for approval of research must carefully lay out the benefits to the participants and the ways in which possible feelings of coercion among participants have been handled. Informed consent is one of the ways researchers deal with this issue. Informed consent. A cornerstone of traditional research approvals is informed consent, in which participants voluntarily agree to be part of the research. Toward this end, Potential participants must be given enough information regarding the proposed research to form this judgment. Typically, researchers are asked to initially describe the purposes of the research and the procedures to the potential participants. If they express interest in participating, potential participants are then given a consent form. The consent form is a clear spelling out of what participants can expect should they be involved in the research. What can appear to be a fairly straightforward process is not necessarily as clear in action research. Researchers themselves are not sure where the research is going. When employing the action research spiral, see Chapter 2, the research is organic to what has been discovered initially and what interventions have been tried. Depending on where this initial inquiry takes them, the next steps will be created as a result of this initial data gathering and decision-making. So rather than being able to spell out exactly what the research will entail, the action researcher can discuss the aims of the study and the initial approach. The researcher can also explain that, given the results of the first rounds of data gathering, the participants may be approached again to consider consenting to their continuing participation in the study. The consent process as currently laid out through the approval-granting procedures is a fairly static, one-time consent that poorly captures the possibility of the evolving research relationships and processes. Instead, action researchers are increasingly seeing the initial consent to participate in the research as the first of ongoing interactions around continued participation Standard consent forms clearly state that participants may voluntarily withdraw and cease participation in the research at any time, and this, of course, applies to action research as well. But beyond this, action researchers are suggesting that it behooves us to keep participants continually apprised as to how the research is evolving, and if they are not involved in the research decision-making, to explain what might be asked of them next. This feeding back to the site of the inquiry and to the participants what has initially been learned through the research helps foster the idea of a learning community based on inquiry. It also gives the participants a sense of the benefits of the research as they ask themselves whether or how they want to continue to participate. The idea of processual consent is seen as a supplement to traditional informed consent. The goal in the case of action research is to repeatedly make clear the ongoing direction of the research itself, as well as the next steps that would be involved for participants. In addition. Smith stresses the need for ongoing dialogue between the researcher and the participants to move beyond what he terms contract relationships toward covenants of trust. Howe and Moses note that some have, quote, proposed construing informed consent on the model of an ongoing dialogue and have suggested periodic reaffirmations of consent as the procedural embodiment of this notion, end quote. The notion of processual consent where all are continually informed and thinking through where the data gathering has taken the research process so far Is within keeping with the tenets of action research and principles of respect in research relationships. While the next chapter contains an in-depth discussion of various methodological possibilities, suffice it to say here that methodological decisions can be part of the ethical safeguards built into a study. For example, when insiders do research in their own site, they are already known to many potential participants, and they are not seen as neutral entities. Some methodologies, such as interviewing, typically require face-to-face interaction and, depending on the position of the researcher in the school setting, may constrain what a participant feels free to share as data. Teachers may be very aware that they are talking with their boss when their principal asks to interview them regarding the effectiveness of various in-service activities. If, on the other hand, teachers are asked to fill out an anonymous questionnaire or answer open-ended questions in a survey format which go into a pile of responses with those of others, the information gathered may be of a different nature. It can be helpful to Insider Action Research to offer anonymity where we can. It gives a bit of a buffer with the researcher, and may put participants more at ease. It is worth noting, though, as the researcher designs the research, the possible approaches to the same end. There are typically multiple methodological approaches that could work, and some offer more possibilities for anonymous data than others. Where face-to-face data gathering is necessary or preferable, researchers need to consider their own positionality related to the participants and how they will minimize any possible discomfort. Supports for ethical practices. We would suggest that part of the work of action research is keeping track of ourselves and the decisions we make in the field as we are faced with various quandaries. We would also suggest that this is probably done most easily when we commit to being transparent with other researchers or parties interested in our research, laying out with them things we are facing and how we are considering proceeding. It is not uncommon, for example, for educators to join inquiry or study groups that also act as critical friend groups. That is, groups whose members agree to pose challenging questions to each other or to help think through the various dilemmas we face as action researchers. Many researchers, recognizing the complexity of action research processes, arrange for this kind of group involvement as a safety net of support for themselves before they actually start the research process. If a researcher is joined by other colleagues in actually doing the research, these colleagues may serve as folks who agree to pose hard questions to each other. Sometimes, since all are very immersed in the research process, it is difficult to step back and take a challenging stance for each other. Some researchers decide to put themselves in another situation, a class, an outside inquiry group, etc where they can count on their needing to offer explanations for ethical issues and the decisions being considered. It is also common that action researchers keep a research log or journal documenting how they have considered various issues that arise in the decisions they make in the face of them. This is a reflective tool that invites self-interrogation as well as a documentation of research dilemmas and decisions. Many researchers put this in place as they begin to think about their research and make methodological decisions. Other researchers also use this journal to record their own thinking and reflections as a form of data. The initial design of the study. While our understanding is that insider action research is an iterative, emergent, ongoing process of planning and implementing, at the same time, Researchers need a plan as they formally begin their studies. Action research is a systematic study of an area of interest or concern, and as such, a beginning design is necessary to get started. In its methodology, action research is not about hypothesis testing or about using data to come to conclusions. It differs from the traditional research approach in that it is based on intersubjectivity and therefore collective meaning-making in action. In other words, it is about praxis. As far as analysis and collecting data and evidence are concerned, action research is open-ended. We need not only to keep records that describe what is happening as openly as possible, but also to collect and analyze our own judgments, reactions, and impressions about what is going on. Action research is often described as a spiral encompassing a few ongoing steps. These steps, while varying to some degree, are often described as planning, acting, observing, and reflecting. This is not necessarily a linear process, with one step discreetly following after another. Rather, in the research process, the researcher will carry out all of these, but there can be a push-pull among the component parts, moving ahead, stepping back as the researcher tries to move along. It is assumed that the steps are ongoing and iterative. Once the researcher has been through the whole cycle, it begins again. Cycles are pursued until the researchers are satisfied that they have gotten as far as they possibly can with the research and or the issues are solved or resolved. What is most typical is that because questions and inquiry open up understanding, Researchers may be in an ongoing inquiry stance, satisfied that they are finished with a part of the research, but on to other areas of inquiry. The following are the component parts typically delineated in the action research literature. We lay them out briefly while also suggesting there is nothing sacred about this layout. What is important to keep in mind is that focusing on an issue in a systematic way, building in critical self-reflection, and including multiple perspectives, can deepen the researcher's understanding of the issue being studied. Planning The idea is to develop a plan of action to improve the area of interest or concern. Typically, this involves an analysis of the issue, querying what is already known, and what else needs to be explored. A plan of action is developed based on what is learned. To do this well, the researcher needs to ask what data are already available, what else is needed, and how the needed data might be collected. It is also linked to the idea of tapping multiple perspectives to get a firm sense of the issues being tackled and to craft a plan that reflects these multiple realities acting Based on the emergent understanding of the issue, the researchers and any collaborators and/or stakeholders devise a plan and take action to address the area of study. Typically, we do not get a plan absolutely right and in fact, as we implement a plan, the very implementation raises new issues or things we hadn't expected or anticipated. Plan is being implemented in the real world of a local context and it is not uncommon that negotiation and compromise may be a part of the implementation process. Observing. Chemists and McTaggart make the case that inside researchers need to be persistent about monitoring the proposed change process and plan well the process of documentation. The evidence collected will lay the groundwork to allow people to learn from the implemented plan through critical self-reflection. This process involves ongoing data collection to study the implemented plan and get a sense of what worked and what needs further refinement. Reflecting. The researcher is reflecting on the data gathered from the implemented plan and reflecting on the action and research processes, or, in other words, making sense of the evidence. This process may lead to the identification of a new problem or a new part of the prior issue being investigated, at which point a new cycle of the process is begun. Considering Validity, Trustworthiness, Criteria in Research Design The ongoing planning of the research has to include validity or trustworthiness considerations. As we stated in Chapter 2, how practitioner action research demonstrates that it is credible or believable research that can be trusted and should be taken into consideration is an ongoing, emerging conversation. As stated earlier, there is not even agreed upon language in outlining the criteria. Awkward though it may be, we continue to use both validity and trustworthiness to hold the space until we have newer terminology that better describes the criteria by which practitioner action research can be judged. But in the midst of this emergent dialogue, We continue to work to plan for good research. It is not that all the conditions to meet the validity or trustworthiness criteria have to be planned for initially. Rather, the demonstrating of validity or trustworthiness is a parameter that the research must meet eventually if it is to be taken seriously. By meeting the criteria of establishing validity or trustworthiness, the researcher signals that the research is credible. So, the eventual meeting of these criteria must be planned for overall. We take these issues up below first reiterating the various validity-trustworthiness criteria, and then suggesting some of the ways of meeting them in the plan of the research. It quickly becomes obvious that these criteria are intertwined and that a single strategy may help meet more than one of the criteria outlined below. We do not ask here that the researcher hold these discreetly or even separately. We do ask that the researcher holistically ask whether the spirit of the criteria has been taken into consideration, and then indicate to the reader how they were addressed democratic validity, trustworthiness. This asks to what extent the various stakeholders' points of view are taken into consideration in the research. This can be done through collaboration, involving others in the research process, or through a commitment to collect multiple perspectives and take them into account. Researchers want to ask themselves who they need to hear from and who will help them across various points of view. The idea is to planfully access multiple perspectives and voices. Several things need to be taken into consideration overall. First, of the various possible stakeholders, who will be selected as a participant in the research. This involves issues of sampling, that is, who and how participants will be chosen. Second, how will the researcher capture the stakeholder's points of view? Third, what data gathering methods will allow their points of view to be heard? The answers to these depend on the initial research question. For example, if researchers are concerned with issues involving their whole class, then any and all of their students could be considered participants. If, on the other hand, researchers are concerned with low achievers, then the focus may be on gathering their perspectives as participants. Beyond choosing the participants, the researcher will want to plan for how to best capture their perspectives. There are multiple possibilities in this regard, which will be described at length in chapter six. The idea is that the researcher has many data gathering methods from which to choose. Researcher's positionality comes into play in some of these initial decisions as well. In launching a study, researchers may ask who it is they have easy access to or who they initially feel comfortable approaching to participate in the study. This can be a good starting point to stay within their comfort zone as long as researchers realize they will not be able to stay there throughout. It is assumed that data gathering will stretch researchers and possibly take them into new territories or collaborations. It is also not uncommon that people participate in varying ways in the research. Perhaps initially the researcher decides to interview some participants but then later wants a broader swath of points of view and decides a community survey serves that purpose. As the design is developed, various data gathering methodologies come into play and are added as appropriate. Some perspectives of participants may be represented in more depth than others, depending on the data gathering employed, such as an interview provides depth, a survey typically provides breadth. It is also not assumed that researchers have to create all their own data gathering tools. In the current example, Others before us have created community surveys, and what they have developed may serve our purpose as well. As the research evolves and develops, the answers to the initial questions of who should participate and how data are gathered may change too. These are ongoing questions for the researcher to pose. As the question is focused and refocused, it may become apparent that others need to be tapped as participants, or that other data-gathering methodologies are more appropriate. In practitioner action research, the researcher may eventually determine that the first data-gathering plan was not realistic or that it needs to be further adapted to be effective and manageable. Researchers will want to document how they approach these issues and the rationale behind the decisions they made. This will help others understand how they came to the approach they are taking in the research, as well as lay out the process for others who may be considering pursuing their own research. Outcome Validity Trustworthiness. To demonstrate outcome validity trustworthiness, the researcher must address whether actions occur, based on the data gathering, that lead toward the resolution of the issue under study. The researcher is asked to address whether the actions lead to another round of data gathering and problem-solving beyond the initial diagnosis of the problem and the implementation of a single-solution strategy. Action research should not typically be aborted at the end of a round of data gathering and problem-solving. Rather, the process typically deepens the researcher's understandings, leading to further data gathering and the ongoing pursuit of the action-research spiral. Employing the action-research spiral may happen a number of times until the researcher is satisfied. This is not to infer that the resolution of the problem has to be successful. Instead, it implies that the researcher has pursued the issue and the problem-solving as far as possible, given local conditions for the researcher and the context. This also obviously relates to the issue of democratic validity-trustworthiness described previously. Researchers want to ask themselves, solve for whom? It is not uncommon that as researchers put things in place to create change, we solve some problems and create other, perhaps unexpected ones. This is, in part, why we continue the action research process, asking, where did that intervention take us? Are we satisfied that this is a workable solution for multiple constituencies? The typical answer to these questions is that interventions need further refinement to work, as well as possible in the realities of the site and for a variety of stakeholders. Process Validity, Trustworthiness. Here we are asking to what extent the research process is adequate, what methodological adaptations were utilized to fit the realities of the setting, and foster and capture the flow of action. The researcher is laying out how the methodology was carried out and how it was developed and adapted over time. It relates to outcome validity, trustworthiness, described above, in that it is understood that if the process is superficial or flawed, the outcome will reflect the superficiality. A lot is required of the practitioner action researcher in that the process asks that the researcher also serve as a site for change and evolution. The researcher is asked to grow and change while also asking the same of the local site. It is possible to carry out action research procedures superficially without really engaging in the process in a way that develops a depth of understanding or change, but this would be considered a flawed research process. Dialogic validity, trustworthiness. This addresses the goodness of fit in terms of the researcher's findings, the research process, and the setting. How did you find what you found? Does it make sense in terms of how you gathered the data in this particular setting? In other words, how did you come to conclude what it is you concluded as a researcher? and doesn't make sense to others in the setting. Typically, this is tested and documented through the ongoing presentation of the process and findings to others in the site, as well as any others tapped to help with the research process, such as critical friends. Because practitioner action research depends on folding back into the site the ongoing findings of the research, the researcher wants to build in opportunities for presenting initial thoughts and findings and gathering responses to the data. This kind of presentation of the data and findings can be to a critical friend, a devil's advocate who pushes back on the conclusions, or to a larger group of stakeholders who are also concerned with the research question. Groups of collaborators or a group of researchers could also do this with each other. As you explain your research approach to others, those in the setting, a critical friend, an inquiry group, and the findings that are a result of your data gathering, does it make sense to others? Are they able to see the goodness of fit in what you did and the findings and actions that evolve from the data gathering process? This involves presenting back to others your thinking, process, and findings. The researcher is building in ways to make the research transparent. For the purposes of practitioner action research, where the goal is the folding of the data and analysis back into the site, this is often an ongoing process. Dialogic validity, trustworthiness, can be a corrective of sorts, where researchers can check whether they are on course. This does not imply that research will not expose new understandings or things that participants and stakeholders did not anticipate. Rather, dialogic validity requires that researchers be able to demonstrate how they came to the conclusions they are drawing and how they have been and are open to alternative explanations that might fit better. It implies a presenting of data understandings and allowing these to rub up against others' perceptions or questions. This refinement process is a safety net of sorts for researchers requiring them to consider multiple possibilities and refinements. Catalytic validity, trustworthiness. Catalytic validity relates to the depth of the process. If the researcher has pursued spirals of research activity and has allowed the data to unfold new realities in the site, a new depth of understanding should also emerge. Catalytic validity, trustworthiness, asks whether the research process has reoriented and refocused the researchers' and participants' understandings of their local context. This implies a deepening understanding, sometimes called transformative learning, of the social reality under study and a better grasp of the change process in the site. As multiple realities come into focus, this is often an energizing process for the researchers and various stakeholders involved. Catalytic validity, trustworthiness, asks researchers to address how understanding has deepened and changed over time. This includes their own reorienting toward themselves and their roles and practices in the site and the research. Methods of Establishing Validity or Trustworthiness As we stated earlier, the validity-trustworthiness criteria are not discrete. Hence, neither are the methods of establishing them. Methods of research can serve in various capacities, in terms of the research design process and the establishment of various criteria for validity-trustworthiness. Most researchers choose some combination of the options outlined below. However, this should not be considered an exalted list. Initially, as the design of the research is being considered, the researcher may put in place a few of these approaches, adding more as the research design unfolds. Since this book is oriented toward qualitative approaches to practitioner action research, some of the suggested approaches will appear familiar to those acquainted with the qualitative approach. At the same time, it is important to not lift wholesale qualitative approaches, since the criteria above depart from the criteria for establishing trustworthiness in qualitative studies. We both share and depart from methods of qualitative research. Triangulation. Triangulation can mean using different sources of data, multiple participants and multiple perspectives, different methods of data gathering, or different researchers or collaborators to provide varying angles on the research question. For example, perhaps researchers interview teachers and then administrators. Following this, they decide to survey students about their thoughts on the research question. The researcher has built in different sources of data, teachers, administrators, and students, and also used varying data gathering methods interviews and surveys. In the study described in Chapter 4, Hare and her co-researcher experimented with doing multiple interviews with students. Would, for example, an African-American student share different things with an African-American interviewer versus what she might tell Hare? In this case, they used the data that different researchers may, with participants, co-construct different responses to the interview questions. The combination of these approaches offers differing vantage points from which to view the research question and the data generated. Triangulation is very commonly used as one step in establishing the validity of a study. Reflexive Journal On a regular basis, investigators record a variety of information about themselves, their thoughts on the study, the methodology, and the data. This often includes a record of the ongoing data gathering schedule, the logistics of the study, and the methodological decisions, as well as a more personal section recording the researcher's reflections, insights, and challenges. Because action research evolves and because researchers are so intimately involved in the change process, keeping track of themselves and their decision-making process is essential. A reflexive journal helps the researcher keep track of the process of the research and make ongoing decisions in light of it. It is also valuable in terms of catalytic validity, where researchers can trace their own reorienting and refocusing in light of the evolution of the research. Critical Friend As demonstrated earlier in this chapter, a critical friend is someone willing to push on the researcher's assumptions, biases, and understandings. He or she poses alternative explanations or offers ideas of alternative analyses of data, with an eye toward furthering the analysis. A critical friend allows researchers to hear themselves out loud as they make a case for their decisions and analyses. Because action researchers in the kind of studies we are discussing here are insiders and therefore involved in their sites and often have a wealth of tacit knowledge to be interrogated and problematized, A critical friend can help provide some perspective and distance from taken-for-granted assumptions. Member checking. Data, analyses, interpretations, and conclusions are brought back to stakeholders for verification and input. This can be done formally as well as informally. This approach is very compatible with action research, where we want to fold into the site insights from the research process as well as account for multiple perspectives. Persistent observation. The researcher identifies the areas most relevant to the research question and focuses on them in depth to fully understand all the elements of the area and get a full picture. The tension in this is to fully explore one area in depth and bring it to a level where the researcher confidently understands it without screening out other relevant areas. The researcher is looking to balance depth and breadth. Summing up. Again, we remind the reader that this is not an exhaustive list. In addition, the researcher is not expected to use all the strategies outlined above. What we are suggesting, though, is that each researcher give thought to how to demonstrate that he or she has conducted a credible study, one that in good faith has tried to keep to the conventions of a valid action research study. We reiterate this because important decisions are being made based on the results of the research. If the study is flawed, the decision-making process will be compromised as well. In addition, much can be learned from an insider's research, but to move it to print or publication, researchers will be expected to have conducted a study that meets the criteria for validity trustworthiness. Final thoughts on getting started. When we teach courses in practitioner action research, we often find that teachers or administrators set out to prove what they feel they already know. Typically, these are biases or prejudices, particularly in low-income schools, about why kids fail, why they misbehave, why parents don't seem to care about their kids, why kids miss school, and so on. It is possible to conduct a study that does not challenge the alleged certainties with which we enter the study. However, we find that typically an educator who enters a study with a deficit view of students or their families discovers through data gathering a greater complexity than their superficial observations previously indicated. It is worth noting how, particularly in middle and high schools, administrators, teachers, students, and their parents can remain relative strangers to one another. Noguera observed that when teachers and administrators remain unfamiliar with students and their families' lives, they fill the knowledge void with media stereotypes and are more likely to misunderstand and fear their students. Perhaps the key disposition that one must have upon beginning a practitioner action research study is the openness to being surprised by what one discovers. In such cases, data do not merely confirm what we already know, but rather force us to deepen our understanding, challenge us to rethink our previous assumptions, and allow us to make decisions based on a more complex understanding of the needs of our students and their families. This, in reality, is the real test of whether we are conducting good research.